Would you pray with me as we now turn to God's word? Father, we, we thank you for the ways that you've been moving among us today. We thank you, Father, for the ways that you're speaking. And we pray as we, as we listen to this, this sermon from, from your word, that you would move us and that you would speak to us in whatever area of our life that needs challenged or encouraged. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are talking about what it means for us at Broadway to follow Jesus together, looking at some of the unique characteristics of discipleship here at our church. Uh, we've, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at steadfast worship, and the last few weeks we've been looking at uh, this call to be a healing community. Uh, next week we'll look at this characteristic of uncommon unity. We'll start there for a few weeks, and then we'll finish with faithful witness, and it'll be about Christmas time. So it's coming. You can feel it in the air today. So today we are, are finishing up uh, this, this section that we have been looking at about our call to be a healing community. We believe that we are a family bound together by the healing work of our good Father. And we believe that we carry this out in all sorts of ways, but in particular, that we do this by being transparent in our brokenness and confessing our sin, and by pursuing peace and forgiveness in all our relationships. So this is uh, what we're going to look at today, this calling to uh, confession and to forgiveness. Turn with me to James chapter 5, and I'm going to read for us verses 13 through 20. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, and this will be our main passage for today. James writes this, James 5, 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins." James's teaching here at the very end of his letter is, is profound, and I think it really challenges us as Americans who, who've learned that individualism and self-sufficiency are what make people great. We like to think that we're strong enough, able enough, clever enough, sufficient enough to make it through this life on our own. But James tells us, and the whole Bible tells us, that if we're going to live a life of wholeness, a life of being well, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, we need other people. 
We can't do our relationship with God by ourselves. We can't do it in isolation. We need one another. And what James tells us here is that, is that the very things that are in our lives that usually keep us separated from one another and isolated and alone are the very things that God wants to use to bring us into community with other people. Let me say that again. The very things in our lives that usually keep us separated from one another, that keep us isolated from one another, are the very things that God wants to use to bring you together with others in community. Our weaknesses... Our sicknesses, our failures, our sin, are things in our life that we try the hardest to hide. They are the parts of ourselves that we don't want anyone else to know about. But when we are willing to reveal those things to others, to be vulnerable to others, when we are willing to bring those things into the light, it is those things that bring us into the most intimacy with other people. We like to try to bring our deceived and hidden selves. We talked about this last week. We like to try to bring our deceived and hidden selves to the community because we don't want anyone to know about those weak parts in our lives. We struggle with depression, but Christians aren't supposed to be depressed, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. A Christian can't be depressed, and so we come into the community hiding our depression. We're overwhelmed with our financial situation, our financial debt, but the the shame of that causes you to hide. You'd never dream of sharing that with your Christian brother or sister. You have an addiction to pornography or pills or gambling or shopping or whatever it is. And so you come to the community on Sunday mornings or on Thursdays to your small group and you hide. You hide that part of yourself. And we, we, talk, we talked about this last week that we're, we're so good at hiding that we think that we're hiding from God. And we even are able to hide from ourselves and deceive ourselves. These weaknesses in us, whether they be uh, um, the sickness, the the reality of living in a fallen world, or our weaknesses and our failures of, of our sin, whatever they are, those weaknesses in us, they isolate us. If we're physically sick, that's an isolating experience, especially if it's a mental illness of some kind that is particularly, incredibly isolating. But what James says is that we need to use that sickness as an opportunity for community. If you're sick, what does James say that you should do? Call the church together to you. You need the community to come around you and to surround you and to touch you and to be with you and to touch your forehead and anoint you with oil. You need to remember in that moment of sickness that you are not alone, that God is with you. And that as these people surround you and as they they with their hands touch your body, remember that you are not alone, that you have a community of people with you. Prayer is in this invitation that God gives to us uh, that, that reminds us that he is there with us in our sickness. 
And James says that there is power when that community gathers together around that sick person. Those elders, those representatives of the community of faith, when they gather together around that person and touch that person, they are reminded that God is there. They are reminded they are not alone. And he uses those prayers to bring healing in their life. So James says, if you are sick, make that an occasion, an opportunity for community. Invite the church around you in that moment. Don't stay isolated. James even talks a couple times here about how our sin can be an occasion, an opportunity for community. He he talks about that twice, actually. One time he says, therefore confess your sins, not only to God, but to one another so that you may be healed. Uh, the, very, the very last chapter, uh, two verses, uh, James talks about how if one of you wanders away, it's the responsibility of our brothers and sisters in Christ to grab you and to drag you back and to save you from that path you're following. Our sin, James says, is an occasion, an opportunity for the community to come alive in your life. Think back to some time that you did something that you were particularly ashamed of. Think about that that sin that you continue to fall to over and over and over again. Some addiction or something that you've done that you've kept hidden from other people. What Satan wants to do in that moment is to keep you in the dark. He wants to keep you isolated and apart from other people. And he says to you, the shame of that thing, if somebody finds out, you'll be rejected. So just stay hidden, stay in the dark, stay by yourself. But I want to say to you that the sin in your life, through the the power that comes through confessing it and hearing from your brothers and sisters in Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes a doorway for community to you. One teacher that I like says that, that we need to learn how to make the devil work for God. What the devil wants more than anything is for you to remain isolated and alone in your sin for no one else to know about it. But we can make the devil work for God if we take our failures and our sin as an opportunity to bring us toward one another, to take the opportunity for us to be ugly, honest, and to practice repentance so that God can receive more glory in my life. When you fall, when you sin, when you do that thing for the thousandth time, and when you are tempted to hide and to stay in the dark, when you allow that addiction to keep you isolated, the devil has you right where he wants you. He wants to use that sin to say that you aren't worthy, that if others knew, if they really knew that they would reject you, and when you believe that and stay isolated, he has you exactly where he wants you. So instead, we need to learn to make the devil work for God. To make our sin an occasion for vulnerability and for honesty and for confession and for even deeper intimacy and community. When we are in a community of people who know how to respond to confessed sin, when we know how to be people who extend grace and forgiveness, then the hope that the devil has for us is broken in that moment and God wins. Do you see that? God can redeem even your sin today. 
Even the very worst thing that you have done, he can take that and make it work for him to draw you into community where you can experience more healing and so that you can display more glory in your life through him. Even sin, when it is turned into an occasion for confession, it becomes a doorway into deeper community, a doorway into deeper intimacy with other people. It becomes a doorway for you to experience God's grace in an even deeper level. We are called to be a healing community here at Broadway. And we believe that a significant part of our healing comes through the practices of confession and forgiveness. These two practices have their, have their source and their goal in our relationship with God. They are the means that God has given to us to be in relationship with him. To experience the healing and the mending of the division that's taken place between us and God because of our sin. And God has given us the community. He's given us the church to be the place where confession and forgiveness can be practiced together. Confession and forgiveness are things that you, uh, are not things that we merely do between us and God. They are community practices. It's very clear here in James that our confession and our experience of forgiveness, that these things are done in community. The power of confession and forgiveness is activated in our lives when we do it together with others. In our church's history, Broadway has, has understood this practice. Uh, one key moment in Broadway's history very early on, uh, the, the church was really struggling. Broadway was really having a difficult time getting going. And uh, Pastor Bob tells a story about uh, a young man who was one of the key leaders of the church at that time who came forward and who publicly, in front of the whole church, confessed and repented from living his life as a closet alcoholic. And as he was standing there speaking in front of the whole congregation and weeping, his small group came up one by one. And they embraced him. And the leader of that small group said that we are here and we are going to walk with you to sobriety. And they did that over the next few years. Our prayer rails here on Sunday morning are, are places where people come to pray for physical healing, but also at times to, to confess sin. It's a place to kneel and to say, I'm at the end of myself and I need God's forgiveness and I need to hear the words of a brother or sister in Christ remind me that I'm forgiven. Broadway has been a healing community through these practices of confession and forgiveness, but I, I believe we are being called to grow even deeper in this area, to receive, to learn how to receive the confessions of our brothers and sisters in Christ as an opportunity to be closer and more intimate with one another in community and to be sure that we give God glory in our lives. And there's three ways, they're, they're in your bulletin, three ways that our brothers and sisters in Christ help us heal. And the first is that our brothers and sisters in Christ, they help us, they help us to see. We can't know ourselves by ourselves. We talked about last week the importance of knowing ourselves. We can't know ourselves by ourselves. We need one another. Uh, in, in the first week that Luke was here, um, Tuesday afternoon, I think, I, I walked in after lunch, 
And I was talking to him, and he goes, hey, you got something in your teeth. Oh, thanks. Took care of it. Next day, I walk into his office, and I'm talking to him. He goes, hey, you got something in your teeth. (laughs) And I I said, thanks. And And then I just wondered, like, have I been walking around here for the last six years with something in my teeth, and it took this guy from Louisiana to come up here and tell me about it? Like, is that what's going on? (laughs) We need, we, we can't know ourselves by ourselves. David needed Nathan to come to him and to be willing to be bold enough to tell him that he was way out of line. Nathan was being that brother and that friend that David needed the most when David had sinned with Bathsheba and then did this whole thing to cover it up by finding uh, her husband Uriah and sending him out to the field where a place where he knew he would die. He became a murderer in order to cover over his sin. And Nathan comes to him and does the most loving and caring thing that he could do by telling him this parable that was so obvious that it was about what David had done. But David had so deceived himself, so lied to himself about what he had done that he didn't recognize himself in Nathan's story. And then Nathan's very clearly, David, you are the man in this story. David needed Nathan in that moment to tell him the truth because David had forgotten himself. David forgot who he was as a man after God's own heart. And David needed that friend in that moment to come and to remind him who he was. We can't know ourselves by ourselves. A few months back when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, we came to that passage where Jesus says, you know, do not judge unless you want to be judged. And then he gives that illustration about how we can't remove a speck from our brother's eye unless we do what? Remove the the log or the plank from our own eye. You remember that passage, right? That passage is often used uh, to tell people that they should mind their own business, That's the way that's most often used, right? One person should never make any judgments about other people. Whatever you want to do is fine. Whatever I want to do is fine. And we just really shouldn't get in in one another's business about it. That's not what Jesus says in this passage at all. Jesus finishes the whole section by saying, if you want to remove the speck from your brother's eye, first remove the plank from your eye. Then you will be able to see better so that you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. The ministry of speck removal is what I think I entitled that sermon. The ministry of speck removal is something that we need to do for one another. I can't see myself clearly. I need someone to say, hey, buddy, you got some spinach in your teeth, and you need to do something about it. But we don't do that most of the time, right? We don't do that most of the time. We avoid it. We don't like the conflict it may cause. We don't want people to feel bad. We don't want to feel bad. It's just really hard. But Jesus says it's our responsibility. We have a responsibility to help remove the speck from our brother and sister's eye, and we need to be willing to have those hard conversations with people to help remove the speck from their eye. Let me stop for a moment. Remember... 
That Jesus' whole point in that is that we need to also be willing first to do the hard work of pulling the plank out of our own eye. To be sure that our motives are pure, that we're going to this person for the right reason. There are some people that just love the ministry of speck removal, right? And I say that if you like doing this, you're doing it wrong. This is something you enjoy doing, you're not doing it right. This is painful experience for both people involved. It's hard work. And this is Jesus' whole point. If you're going to do this, you better have done some work with God yourself to make sure that beam is out of your eye because wounded people wound people. And if you've got a beam in your eye and you move in close to remove that person's speck, that speck in their eye is going to be their last, their least of their problems if you're moving in there with a beam. This kind of ministry, the ministry of speck removal, it's important, but it's really sensitive And it requires us to move closely to someone. If you're going to allow someone to remove a speck from your eye, you're placing yourself in a very vulnerable position. It's going to hurt, so I'm going to need to trust you. I'm going to need to trust that you have my best interest in mind, that you're just not doing this to make yourself feel better. But this is part of our responsibility as a community. Jesus says so. We are called to help one another see. We can't know ourselves by ourselves. We need brothers and sisters who are willing to say the hard things. Sister, you're making a fool of yourself with all your defensiveness. Your pride is showing. Friend, you're being pretty selfish in our small group when you take up 30 minutes of your time every single week telling your story when there's other people around you that are hurting. Hey, sister, I've seen your posts on Facebook. Why are you so bitter and why are you so angry right now? I saw that picture of you hanging out with that dude, and you know that dude isn't good for you. This is our responsibility. Brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins, James says. So if we're going to be a healing community, if we are going to be this kind of church who are willing to say these hard things to one another, if we're going to be willing to tell people that they've got spiritual spinach stuck in their teeth, I want to say right here that we need to have a whole lot of grace and space with one another. If somebody comes up to you and they love you enough to come and say, I'm seeing something in you that concerns me. You better be willing to listen. Because it takes a whole lot of courage for that person to do that. They've probably thought about it for days, weeks, maybe months, maybe years. And if they have finally gained the courage, and you've seen them do the work of removing planks from their eyes, you better listen to them. In the end, they might be wrong, but they're probably not. They're probably not wrong. And if you're angry, if you get defensive about it, that's going to say a whole lot more about you than about them. It's going to say a whole lot more about that thing you're so defensive about than it does about them. So, first thing the community does is our brothers and sisters help us to see we can't know ourselves by ourselves. Secondly, the community reminds us of the gospel. 
Without other believers, we simply forget the good news. When we fail and we, we did it again, we've fallen and we've messed up, we think that's it. We've somehow stepped over this line where God's grace is not sufficient for me anymore. We need in that moment someone to come and remind us that the cross is for them. To, to kneel down with us, maybe even literally kneeling down with us and reminding us of the gospel. Jesus died for you. He died for this, for this thing you did. He died that you don't have to carry the shame of it anymore. Sister, he died so that you can be set free from it. This thing does not, have, does not get to have power over you anymore. Our brothers and sisters help us heal by reminding us of the gospel. Without them, we forget the gospel. And so we need others to boldly declare that reality in people's lives. It's been like um, three months since I've had a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, and so I'm sorry for that. So we're going to visit my boy Dietrich here. Dietrich says this, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without denying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ, this I love this part, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. We need to remind one another of the good news. Now, I want to remind you that when somebody comes to do that, when somebody comes to you in this moment, it may have taken them days or weeks or months, or years, to take up the courage to say, this is who I am. This is what I've done. They are exposing an open wound. They are are showing you their boo-boo. So take care of it gently. If someone is courageous enough to show that to you and to trust you with it, be gentle Be gracious, remind them of the gospel, that the cross is sufficient for them. And in time, follow up with the challenge that is necessary. Follow up the next day or the day after or the next week and asking what you can do to help them to stand. What's your plan? How can I help you walk through and out of this thing that's destroying you in your life? There's a time for that. It's an essential time for you if you receive someone's confession to follow up a day or two or a week later. But that moment of confession is really vulnerable. It's really tender and it's a really precious time. And in that moment, they need to hear the good news that they are loved by God. That they are made in his image and that Jesus was willing to die for him. The third thing that the community of faith does to help us heal is that it becomes a tangible expression of forgiveness. Turn with me to John chapter 20. 
This is where we'll finish today. In John chapter 20. Jesus, this is after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus uh, appears to the disciples uh, in the upper room. The doors were locked. They were scared. They were afraid. He appears to them and he gives them uh, this, this commission. John chapter 20 Verse 21, Jesus says, he appears to his disciples and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We know from the whole Bible that only God can forgive sins. Your forgiveness, your being made right, in God's eyes is not dependent on whether or not I'm willing to forgive you or not. What does Jesus mean here? At least one vital, important aspect of this calling that he gives to the disciples and to us. What he's saying here is that the church, the people of God who have been filled with his spirit, the church is the place where people experience the reality the concrete expression that their sins are forgiven. When an addict comes to church and receives Christ, comes to the knowledge that her sins are forgiven, the church makes that forgiveness tangible when they open their arms wide to her and invite her into their lives. When the person who is struggling with loneliness and isolation and depression, when people in the church reach out to him and invite him to sit down with them and to share a meal, the church becomes the place that shatters isolation and becomes the place where it's possible for that person who's struggling in those ways to experience the reality of God's embrace and love for them. It's in the Christian community where we tangibly experience this reality of God's forgiveness for us. To experience God's embrace through other people when we don't think we're worthy of any of it. And when the church fails to do that, when the church fails to embrace people and walk with them in this way, Jesus says they are not forgiven. If they cannot experience this tangible reality in God's church, they will not experience it everywhere, anywhere. They may very well be saved by God. They may be prepared for an eternity with God in heaven. But the experience of joy that salvation brings here and now that's available to them will not be fully experienced and realized unless the church comes around them so that they may feel and experience the reality of that forgiveness. Does that make sense? I think that's what Jesus is on about here in John chapter 20 as he sends his disciples into the world. That we are called to be the place where people experience the reality, the joy that comes from knowing we are, ex- we are forgiven by God and to experience the joy of that now as we look forward to the eternity that we'll share with God. 
want to suggest to you that this, this John chapter 20 reality, it's, it's also lived out when we, commit, when we commit to reconciling with other people who harm us or who we have harmed. When there is a conflict in the church between two brothers in Christ and they're willing to do that hard work of hashing it out and considering the other person better than himself and really trying to understand the person and are committed to that relationship, John 20, 23 becomes a reality in a very tangible way. We experience the reality of Jesus' forgiveness coming to bear on that relationship. Jesus instructs us in the Lord's Prayer to forgive He says to pray like this, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's really interesting, friends. There's no other part of the Lord's Prayer that assumes some sort of expectation from us. Everything else, it's about what God is doing. Here at this one little section, Jesus assumes that we as his followers are going to be people who know how to forgive People who are already, before we're even praying this prayer, already forgiving our brothers and sisters. Uh, Father, forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Jesus, uh, even in Matthew chapter 6, after giving his instructions about praying the Lord's Prayer, he gives this, um, this instruction. I think I put it on here. I'm not sure. I did. He gives this instruction right after his instructions about the Lord's Prayer. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's like he pauses after that prayer to expound on that one line. He doesn't expound on any of the rest of it. He expounds on that one line. If we pray, forgive us of our sins, and then at that exact same moment refuse to walk in forgiveness towards other people, we are saying, God, I receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. I cannot stand on my own. I need the cross. But what that person does, they need to stand on their own. And if we go to God in that way, we must... We must be going there suggesting that our sin is really of not very much consequence. Our sin must not be a very big deal because we're willing to ask God to forgive us of it, but we're not willing to forgive someone else. And Jesus has all kinds of parables about people who act like that. If we expect God to forgive our sins, we must also forgive others. The the church... The church isn't like a fantasy football team where we're able to drop people and switch people out that just aren't performing well or that we don't like very much. In the church, we're committed to one another. We commit to be patient and humble and gentle and bear with one another in love. We commit to do for others what Jesus has done for us by extending our forgiveness into their lives so that they can experience that forgiveness in their own life. We are people of the gospel. People who know that we have been forgiven for 10 million trillion sins. And so we need to embody that forgiveness among ourselves. To extend a lot of grace and a lot of mercy to the, to the habits and the, uh, the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups as we talk about in Celebrate Recovery. To, to the ways that people harm us intentionally or unintentionally. To have a lot of grace and mercy around us. And that doesn't mean we get to like... There be no consequences for that thing that they did, or we just kind of ignore it and pretend that it doesn't happen. That's not real reconciliation. We'll talk a bit more about reconciliation later. 
But we're called to pursue this kind of forgiveness where we don't give up on one another because they've harmed us. So we need our brothers and sisters to help us heal this, this rupture that's been caused between us and God. Uh, we, we can't know ourselves by ourselves, so we need to have other people help us see. We need to hear the gospel in the words of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to have a place, a community, where we experience what forgiveness is really like, where we can touch it, where we can taste it, where we can see it being lived out. And this is the kind of healing community that we're being called to be here at Broadway. So I just want to finish this morning uh, with with an invitation to each of us. Uh, This morning, there are some of you who have never, ever received the forgiveness that Jesus has on offer for you today. You've never received it. The Bible tells us that from the very beginning into the very end, God is making a world where we can be together with him. We say at Broadway, where God is making our place and his place the same place. Our sin, though, has caused this rupture between us and God. It separates us from him, and it makes us hide away from him, to be outside of relationship with him. And God, through Jesus, has made a way for that rupture to be mended. A way, that way is through confession and forgiveness. When we confess, God, I have sinned. I have done things that harm myself, that harm others, that harm my relationship with you. We confess and we agree with God about what he says about our actions. And we ask him for his forgiveness. And it is always available when we confess. And when we turn and come to him, that forgiveness is available. And this morning, if you have never, ever done that, if you have never confessed your need for God's forgiveness in your life, this is the day. In a moment, we're going to be singing a song. If you want to come forward, grab me, kneel to this side. Someone will come and pray for you. If you don't want to do it at that time, come and grab me or somebody else that you've seen up here this morning and talk with them so that you can hear for the first time in your life a new brother or sister in Christ say to you with their words, your sins are forgiven. And you may know it in a very real way today. For others, there is this call to take a step of vulnerability and honesty so that you may more fully walk in the freedom that comes from confessing your sin to another person. There may be things in your life that you have confessed to God, but still it's gnawing at your heart. True freedom will come from you bringing that to light and hearing from your brother or sister, you are forgiven. Confess your sin to one another so that you may be healed, James says. Let's pray together. Father, whatever you have spoken today to each one of us, I pray that it would become a tangible reality in each of our lives, that we would know it, that we would experience it, that we would would feel it in our bones, this forgiveness that comes uh, through confession. Lord, I pray that we would know it today. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never experienced that freedom, 
I pray that you would give them the courage to say yes to you for the first time in their life today. For others of us who have said yes to you, who, but who may be saying no to you today, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to say yes and to be vulnerable and to be honest and to walk in the healing light of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.